Tonight we're going to be doing a little, this is more of like a study. It's not so much just like a preaching thing. I wanted to do a study. Uh, you know, I, I used to do Sunday school and I, I was talking to a, uh, some members that were visiting. They, they moved and they came and, you know, we were just talking about Sunday school. And, and Sunday school is just something that I grew up in, you know, as, as a, a Baptist, when as a teenager, I would go to Sunday school. And, you know, as much as I get like frustrated and aggravated because I had to go, I learned so much during that time. I just love the teaching of the word of God. There are so many things in the word of God that if you really sit down and read it and study it, it enlightens you. You know, there's my desire every time I'm up here is to give you an insatiable hunger to read God's word. God's word is all powerful. It has Every aspect of your life covered, when you read God's word, it, it comes alive in your life. I mean, when you're struggling with something, when you're dealing with something, when God's word comes alive on the inside of you, you'd be surprised how you can shout for joy in the midst of trying circumstances. You know, you read some things in the Bible and you say, why even read this? There's no way it applies to me. I, I really do not understand why flour and oil had to be put on vegetables and given to a priest. Right? I mean, that's a logical, that's a logical question. So Leviticus is one of those books that you get to and you're like, oh man, that's on my reading plan. How many of you have read the book of Leviticus? How many of you understand the book of Leviticus? Put my hand down. <laughs> With that being said, I want to look at the offerings in Leviticus. You know, this is something I have been, been wanting to look at for quite some time. And I was always like, oh, man, but I want to get to that. I want to look at that. I want to study. Well, I sat down and I was like, you know what? Study it. Just stop putting things off. I'm a procrastinator sometimes. But I was like, no, I know that there's jam-packed truth here. And so with that being said, in this study... We'll be seeing the view of God's, the, the way God views sin in totality. We'll see that the love that God has for mankind. And we will, we will see what this means for us. Because you might say, well, how does the book of Leviticus apply to me? That's what I said too. That, that was, that was, I was like, what does this have to say to me? You know, when you go to God and you say, God, speak to me. Tell me what this means. God will answer you every single time. The Bible says that I am God and I change not. So that tells us that God's view of sin never changes, that his ways never change, his requirements always stay the same. Now let's look at uh, Hebrews chapter 10, 1 through 14. Tonight we're going to be pretty much in, in one book. So, you know, you can go there in your Bible and don't have to worry about going all over the place. So let's read in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 14. We're going to read it carefully. For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never be the same sacrifices that are continually offered up every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have been ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any conscience of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, 
He said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you take no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These were offered according to the law. Then he he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. That's a good place to say amen. I want you to understand, see, these laws were here. Okay, they were here. They've, They've always been there. They're in the Old Testament. God doesn't change his mind. You know, God doesn't say, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. What happened was Jesus fulfilled it. Because if Jesus had not fulfilled it, we would be doing a lot of work. And I'm, I mean like a lot of work. But then he says, I have come to do your will. I ab- he abolished the first in order to establish the second. And by the will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. I want to stop there. In the tabernacle, in the temple, there was no place for the priest to sit. Because the work was never finished. There was no place to sit. There was no area that a priest could sit down and take a break. In verse 12, it says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all those who are being sanctified. I want to read you two more verses of scripture. In Matthew 5, verse 17, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. Okay? So the first time it says it was abolished, but why? Jesus tells us because it's fulfilled. If Jesus did not fulfill that, we would be in a bind. Because this is what God required. So Leviticus 1, 3, we're going to start And we're going to go through these verses. If his offerings is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. So this is the first offering that is offered. And it speaks of Jesus's death on Calvary. Now, the Jewish people did not know that this was coming. They knew the Messiah was coming. Their faith was in the sacrificial system. Our faith is in the one who fulfilled the sacrificial system. So the the point one, point number one is there must be an acceptable sacrifice. Now, remember, the last part of this verse says that he may be accepted before the Lord. You, You were to bring the offering to the priest and it would for the acceptance from the Lord. Now, remember, it's not good enough that they were just children of Abraham. It wasn't just good that they were children of Abraham. It's not just good that we come to church. It's not just good that we come to church. Just like it wasn't just good, there's a lot of similarities and parallels in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. You must be accepted 
through the sacrifice. So this offering was to speak of God giving his all. So to understand the sacrifice had to be perfect, not the offerer. That's good news. I know that none of us are perfect. We may strive for it, but we will never attain it. But this sacrifice must be perfect. Now, when we, when we think of this, when you were to bring your sacrifice to the priest, the priest looked at the sacrifice. They didn't even look at you. They didn't even look at the person who was offering it. They would, they would cut the back of the, 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 the animal to, or, or pull some hair and check the skin to see if it had spots or anything. If it was imperfect, you were rejected. That's good news for us. Because it's not on us. It's on the sacrifice. And we know, because this is what people think, well, that's a Jewish thing. That must be for the Jews. But remember in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. So this was God's idea. Adam, remember the story, Adam tried to cover himself with fig leaves. So he went and grabbed fig leaves to cover himself. He realized that he didn't have any clothes on. There was shame involved. But God provided a sacrifice. It's very quite possible that Adam saw this take place. I don't know how God took the skin off of the animal. God may have killed it himself. We do not know. The Bible doesn't say. But we do know something as we keep going. Listen, fig leaves is religion. That's where people try to make themselves right. They go and I go to this church. I'm part of this denomination. I do this. It's all fig leaves. God doesn't accept it. God doesn't even look upon that. So it's not on us. When, when, that, when the fall happened, blood had to be shed. Remember at the fall, mankind was plummeted into a hopeless, sinless state. We see that. You have to understand that. You have to know that we're not right before God until Jesus pays our penalty. Then that's where mankind finds himself. See, the sacrificial system, let's, let's look in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. In the course of time, Cain brought the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel's offering But for Cain, his offering had no regard. So we see Adam knew about a sacrificial system before Moses. It didn't have to be Jewish. There was no Jewish people then. Abraham became the father of the Jews. This is before. So it's not a Jewish thing. So you need to understand that. That all mankind is still doomed without the sacrifice to their own life. Now we see that Adam must have taught his children. About the sacrifice because you have you have Cain brought an offering from the fruit of the ground, something that he grew with his hands. That's works. God didn't receive that. But Abel did what God and Adam had told him to do, and he brought an offering which was shed blood and offered it. And God respected that. God honored that. And look at what happened later on. There was a murder. That's what religion does. You see that nowadays on the news. 
It's religion that causes all this fussing and fighting and bickering, and it eventually leads to murder. So you see, that's why it's all about what God wants. So I'm going somewhere with this. Number two, an offering must be given no matter race or religion. In Hebrews 9.22, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Now, the whole burnt offering tells us two things. The animal had to be offered, which means totally. And so that also tells us that we must give him our all. Remember, we're a living sacrifice. Jesus gave his all. When God, when, when he was, when he died on Calvary, he had, God had given us all that heaven has to offer. Leviticus, Leviticus 1-3, he shall offer a male without blemish. Point number three, the whole burnt offering had to be male and it had to be perfect. So you either could bring a lamb or a bullock or a goat. Now, if you were poor in those days, God would let you bring a pigeon or a turtle dove. If you ever wondered why, why does God allow this and that? That's why. It kind of shocked me. That means that the sacrificial system does not recognize economics. That God looks down at us and it's required and he made a way, whether rich or poor. It doesn't matter what race we are. We're all one. We're all human. That's, that's a powerful thought when you think about God being so meticulous. Because this is what I want to bring out in this. The book of Leviticus is intimidating. The book of Leviticus is like, oh, man. But look, if you can understand the book of Leviticus, the other parts of the Bible, you will be like, oh, man, I'm so glad I get to read this part. I can understand it. It takes down the intimidation factor. That's what I'm trying to do. Bring down the intimidation factor. Just look at what the Bible says and see the glory of God come off the pages when you see that it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The sacrifices were to be offered at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Jesus was put on the cross at 9 and he died at 3. He fulfilled that to the T. The priest would cut the throat of the animal and and that the blood would be poured into a basin I don't want to get too graphic. <laughs> but the blood would be poured into the basin. The skin was taken and, and, and it was cut down so they, can, they could see with the sacrifice if it, was, if it was acceptable or not. If it had any discoloration or anything, it was rejected. Now remember, Jesus himself was inspected by Pilate. Remember when Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. That was done for a reason. To the Jewish person, if they would look back on this, they would say Jesus was fulfilling the Old Testament. Now, remember in Leviticus chapter one, verse three, let's keep going. He shall offer it of his own will voluntarily at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. Point number four, this offering had to be given willingly. God never overrides the will of a human being. That's why God doesn't force himself on you, force him, force you to get saved. It's a willingness. All the children of Israel knew what was required of them. Moses didn't make them do anything. They had to go in their own admission. The same thing with us. We have to make that decision to go, go with the Lord. We have to make that decision to apply the sacrifice to our life. That's the part that that we don't understand sometimes. we like, I don't understand how this person won't come to the Lord. This God Almighty draws them. 
That's why you can't just wake up and say, I think I'm going to get saved today. Come on, God is drawing you. Now, when you yield to the drawing, God is moving upon you to come to him. The sacrifice, to apply the sacrifice to you. Now, let's imagine this scene in our minds. It's, it would be the desert. You would approach this tabernacle. If it was during the day, you would see a cloud over it. If you came at night, you would see a blazing fire. Now, imagine this. You're walking up. This would be a terrifying scene to me. If I'm at night and I see this blazing supernatural fire hovering over this tabernacle. Imagine remembering at that point the horror of my sin. This is what I did. This is, man. And you're walking into the presence of God knowing what you have done. You would approach this fence that was around the tabernacle. If you were here for the temptation message, we had pictures to show you. You would approach this this door. Remember in John 10 verse 9, Jesus would thunder these words, I am the door. All the Jews would have knew exactly what he was talking about. Remember, Jesus died on Calvary and the veil was torn from top to bottom. And there was also a, a veil that separated the Jew from the Gentile. But when Jesus died, all were able to come in. Today, man can give his life to the Lord anywhere, in this building, in your car, at home. But back then, you had to go to the tabernacle. Now, as you would approach this, you would see some of the most horrific things that you would ever lay your eyes on. He would see priests with shiny knives. He would see innocent animals standing beside their owners. They would see blood being poured into a basin. Then the, then the, the priest would take this blood and throw it at the foot of the altar. He would see other priests washing their hands, washing their feet at the brazen laver. Or imagine the sounds of these animals. Imagine your heart as you see these innocent lambs losing their lives. The sights and sounds. You'd be seeing oily smoke rising up and you would be smelling burnt flesh. Remember at the cross, there was no pleasant scene either. In fact, God turned the lights down on this whole earth so we would not have to see. So he would not see the death of Jesus. Think of that. Then the offerer would see the brazen altar. Remember, we, we showed you this. It was, a, it was an altar, and it had four horns on it, and it was wood. But then they had copper over the four corners. The four corners re- represents that salvation is for everyone. It points to the four corners of this earth. The copper over it is judgment. But that tells us that Jesus, like being the wood, would pass through the fire of God and not be consumed. There's so much symbolism when you understand the book of Leviticus that it marvels my mind that God is so meticulous in in what he required them to do. But the good news I have for you is he is meticulous in your life, in your circumstances, those circumstances where you feel like, I don't know if God's paying attention. God is paying attention. God is orchestrating. God is working it out. God is interwoven. And even the smallest prayer requests that you have, God is meticulous. 
If he's meticulous in, in sharing and showing the tabernacle, if he's meticulous in the fat has to be this way and the ashes have to be taken out this way, he is meticulous in the children that he loves. Now, they would also see priests constantly washing their hands. Think of that. Remember Pilate when he stood before Jesus. And I'm just, Jesus stood before him. He washed his hands. Remember? said, I find no fault in this man. His blood be on your hands. That was a symbol of what was happening in Leviticus. That's, that's powerful when you think about it. When you think about how Jesus truly fulfilled everything. Leviticus 1.4. He shall lay his hands on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement. Point number five. The sin had to be transferred To the innocent. The priest would then take the rope from your hand. And he would tell you to put your hand on the animal's head. Now think about the pet lamb that you raised. You ever seen the little video? And I don't know if you saw it on YouTube. They call him the little lamb's name and he's hopping down. He's hopping down the hall. Go go look it up. like Just Google uh, man calls pet lamb. It's so cute. When I saw that, it broke my heart. They called his name and he just was hopping real cute. Imagine that. These pet lambs would begin to know their name. You would call them. They would come to you. You'd put your hands on them. You'd rub the head. But this time your hand was placed on this animal for a different reason. Your, your pet lamb. Remember, when Jesus came to this earth, he came to die. He came to die. Remember when John saw the great Nazarene walking down the bank of the Jordan River? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of these sacrifices covered it. There hadn't been a prophet say anything for 400 years since Malachi. And all of a sudden, the mighty prophet of God, John the Baptist, would point his finger and say, behold, the Lamb of God. Do you know what that does to you? If you're sitting there in, in just religion, you're just sitting there in the same old thing. You're just sitting there life after, after day after day. Life is just going on. And all of a sudden, you're sitting in a service and John tells you, behold, the Lamb of God, the promised Messiah who takes away the sin of the world. That would have made everything in you leap with joy. One commentator said if there was even one hair between you and Jesus, that one hair would be in the state of wrath. That's why it says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Listen, you are safe. In Jesus Christ. You are saying, look, the knowledge of justification, meaning just as if you never sinned, you will grow in that knowledge. You will grow from glory to glory. But your position of justification doesn't grow. It's a settled deal. That means you may may get to understand more about who he is and what he did. But it's just as if you never sin when you stand before God. Justification, sanctification. This is the part that we fall. We mess up. We have bad days. We lose it. You look at yourself in the mirror and say, am I even saved? If your faith is in what he did, you're saved. He's produ- your, your, your works are being produced in the sanctification process. Listen, 
It's not about works. It's about your faith, your trust. That's why I want to bring this out in the Old Testament. It was all based on the sacrifice. That was the key. That was what made you right. When you put your faith in Jesus, those works are produced out of a heart of thankfulness. And we'll get to that in a minute. Leviticus 1.5, then he shall kill the bull before the Lord. Point number six is our sin killed Jesus. All sin is committed before the Lord. Therefore, it must be addressed before the Lord. The offerer would lay his hand on the animal. The priest would give him the knife and he would have to kill the animal. This tells us that our sins killed Jesus. We took a part in the beating, in the spitting, in the ridicule, in the mocking. But you may say, I didn't verbally do that. Our actions did that. Our actions did that. If you keep going in Leviticus 1 verse 5, and Aaron's son, the priest, shall bring the blood and throw it, throw the blood against the sides of the altar at its interest, the tent of the meeting. This is telling us point seven, the burnt offering was to satisfy God's justice in character. See, we get so wrapped up in, 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 in what, what happened and what Jesus accomplished and we make it all about us. Yes, there, it, we do benefit. But we have we don't we don't look at the side of God's holiness and righteousness is being attacked when sinful man walks around on earth and does what he does. We we live our lives, not to say us who are saved, but people live their lives. God allows them to live 50, 60, 70, 80 years doing the worst things. If you ever read the, the, uh, the, the, the book, I don't know if you, The Sinner's in the Hands of an Angry God, you read it in school. They let you read it in school. But there's things in there that says the earth allows you to walk on it, to carry out evil deeds. It's, it's weird when you think about it. It says the breath goes, the, the earth hates to give you breath so you can utter things that are against God. Things like that. It's like public schools consider that art. Public schools consider that literature. So when you think about it, that's, that, and that's considered to be one of the most famous sermons ever preached. When he preached that sermon, there were people in the middle of the message. He had, Jonathan Edwards had came to a church and they were hard hearted. And they said, man, you need to come over here, preach the gospel. A lot of these people are not receiving. He began to preach that sermon. And in the middle of the sermon, People fell to their knees and said, what must I do to be saved? I'm sorry for offending the most high God. That's amazing. That was a time. That was a movement that took place. So during this burnt offering, it was to satisfy God's justice, God's mercy. Leviticus 1, 6 and 8. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and arrange the wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat, and the wood that is on the fire. This tells us point number eight, that sin affects every part of the human life. There is no part of the human life that is not affected by sin. In fact, the offerer would have to assist the priest in cutting the animal up. Now, this had to be done for two reasons. It was to show that sin is deep-rooted. That it's an internal problem. It, attra- it attacks the vitals. That's why you just can't change environment. It, sin goes deep. 
And it also shows us that every part of your life is affected by sin. And there was an, the fire on the altar was to never go out. That means it had to stay lit. This tells us that God's judgment of sin is always there. But that fire was always there for the provision, for the sacrifice. Do you understand that? It was there for the sacrifice. That fire was always ready for the sacrifice to come. That's God's provision. Leviticus 1.9, but his entrails and legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. This tells us point number nine. Jesus satisfied the debt inside and out. Inside and out. When, when, when that happened and that smoke, how could oily smoke be a pleasing scent to the Lord? Because justice was taken care of. Justice. Listen, I don't know if you're getting this or understand this. We would be in a bind if Jesus had not come and dealt with this and done this and lived a perfect and holy life. See, a lot of times we forget what we're saved from. We don't realize we love God's a loving God. We know that we love that fact about God. We we applaud that. But when we look at his holiness, we're like, oh, go ahead now. You're making God sound mean. No, God is holy. God is righteous. Everything God does is righteous. Everything. He doesn't have bad thoughts. He doesn't have bad intentions towards you. Everything that he does, he's trying to work himself into you. And so when you understand that these sacrifices are pictures of what Jesus accomplished for you because it was still what God required of you. So it's the sacrifice. This tells us in Ephesians 5, 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offered and a sacrifice to God. Now, notice it says when we walk in love. Do you know when you love one another, when you love your enemies, when they don't deserve it, when they didn't say they're sorry, when you love them in spite, that's a a fragrant offering before the Lord. That God looks down on that and he says, I like that. I am pleased with that. Isaiah 53, 10, it was the will of God to crush him and put him to grief when he makes his soul an offering for sin. To understand that, you have to understand John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This tells us of God's holiness, of Christ's obedience, and this should tell us of our hopelessness aside from Jesus. It's like I said the story before. If you have a black mat, of, if you go into, this guy went into a jewelry store, and the, the, the guy pulled, the jeweler pulls out a diamond and places on the, on the glass cabinet, and then the guy's like, well, man, this diamond is small. If I bring this to my wife, she's going to have a fit. And he's like, hold on one second. So he took the black mat out, laid it down, took the diamond, and it shined beautifully. And he said, wow, that diamond is beautiful. Until you see the blackness of who you are, that, that deep sin that we deal with, 
that you deal with, that I deal with, until you see the utter hopelessness of who we are, who you are, who people that we know are, you will not appreciate the jewel of Jesus Christ. You will not appreciate the jewel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, for the joy set before the Lord, he endured the cross. That joy was, yes, us. It was us. But it was also the fact that he paid the debt. He paid the debt that we owed. He vindicated God's justice. And he upheld the perfect standard that you and I could never uphold. Now, remember we talked about the entrails. This tells us the inside and the, and the outside. So when we look at this sacrifice, the reason it said of the entrails, it was to show the inner being of a person is redeemed. And the outer will yet be redeemed at the rapture of the church. You see, right now your soul and spirit are free with the Lord. But your body still gets sick. Your body is still going to decay. Right? You're going to go to the ground. Where's the perfection in that? It's coming. It's coming. You see, when you're, when you give your life to the Lord, when you die, your soul and spirit go to be with the Lord, but your body stays in the ground. And Jesus, when he comes back, will take the bodies out of the ground and they will be reunited with the, with, with their soul and spirit. And you will, the imperfection will be put on. I mean, the imperfection will go away and you will be perfected. You will experience the fullness of glorification. There's justification, sanctification, and glorification. You'll be, I guess you could say, fully saved. You will experience the fullness of salvation. How about that? And it says washing with water. Why did that have to happen? Remember, those parts were burned on the altar. Christ was clean on the inside and the out. So this tells us when that, that washing was perfection, it was clean. And when this was offered and burnt, the ashes were to be taken outside of the, the camp. That tells us that Jesus, that God Almighty, addressed all of this at the root. That's what this is telling us. There's no part of, of you that is not able to experience freedom. That's what it means. That's why the ashes were taken out. It means blown away, gone away. That means your sins are gone. You don't have to carry around the baggage. You don't have to carry around the carcass. You don't have to go outside the camp and take ashes and be reminded of your failures. God's intention is to save you and remove guilt. Remove condemnation. God wants you to be happy. He wants you to live free. He wants you to live prosperous. He wants you to experience his love. The Bible says that, that God, Jesus didn't come into the world to judge the world, to condemn the world. But through him, the world may be saved. Now, when you look at the second offering, we're going to finish this really quickly. There was a meat offering. And the King James says meat, but it's really grain or vegetable. There was no bloodshed here. The meat offering was offered during the burnt offering, the same time as the burnt offering. And there's so much significance in this. I want to show you what, what Jesus Christ did for you and for me. Leviticus 2.1 says, When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be fine flour. He shall pour all on it and put frankincense on it. Now, what is a Thanksgiving offering? 
It's, it's, it shows thankfulness, purity, and loyalty. That was the reason this was offered. This was given out of a thankful heart. Are you thankful tonight? Are you, are you really thankful? Look, I'm not trying to get a rise out of you. I want you to go and understand. We just went through a burnt offering. We went through all of this, you know, guts and all this stuff to produce thankfulness. Now, when you keep going down, the offering, this represents God, Jesus's life, his purity. It was his sinless, spotless, perfect life. It had to be fine flour. Fine flour is perfect. Fine flour doesn't lump up. Fine flour, fine flour, I'm sorry, is consistent. It's consistent. What does this have to do with consistency? Which tells us no matter what circumstance came across in Jesus, he was always consistent. He never had to go back and apologize. But this is what, how it applies to you. He is always consistent in your life. Jesus said that he would never leave us nor forsake us. That's the greatest news you can hear. No matter what you're going through, Jesus is consistent. Come on, we're not always consistent. We, I mean, if, thank God for the, the, our faith being in the sacrifice. Because if it was on us, <laughs> we would be in a, in a major bind. This is what God did this for. He was showing Israel. Israel was a picture of inconsistency. They would serve God. They would back away from God. They'd worship this God. They'd worship that God. God would deal with them. They'd go around the mountain. They'd come back and say, oh, it's, it's, look, it's God. And they were constantly going in this circle, just like you and I do. You have good days, bad days. Sometimes you wake up. It's been a week and you haven't read. You haven't you feel like you're not even saved. You know what I'm talking about. That, that feeling, but Jesus is consistent. Remember the, the children of Israel would always complain and murmur against Moses. Remember that? That always brought punishment on the Jewish people. It's like after a while, I'd have been like, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut <laughs> because I can see what's continually bringing these things upon me. But how much of us do we murmur and complain? And we do that because we get out of the attitude of being thankful. I know that was true in my own life. I got so wrapped up in prayers not being answered or not answered like I wanted. It caused me to back away from even being thankful. Leviticus 2, 1 and 2. He shall pour all on it and put frankincense. Number two, the all is the Holy Spirit. The oil was to be on the flower. So this tells us that the flower was there and it was perfect. But it was perfect because of the oil that covered it. Jesus came as a perfect life, but he did that in the power of the Holy Spirit. This tells us the perfect life that Jesus lived in our place. And then there's frankincense. I'm just going to speed through this. The frankincense was bitter. It was, it, you, you had to go to a tree and it was cut out of a certain tree that, that grew between two slabs of marble. And it was such, it was such tedious work to draw this frankincense out that it was very costly. Jesus' death on Calvary was very costly. 
You remember, they would take this frankincense and they would bring it to the altar of incense and throw it on, on the altar. And it would, remember, it's very bitter, but it would produce a good, a good aroma, right? It would produce a good aroma. But when you look at, remember what we talked about a couple weeks ago about the, the menorah. The oil had to be put in the menorah, had to stay lit. And the wicks of the, of the actual menorah had to stay trimmed. If it got too long, it would make black soot. Now, I know you're thinking, well, what does that have to do with me? If we do not go and trim our wicks, when you go to work and you're stressed out, all your coworkers will see is black smoke. You have, I'm, I'm serious. You trim those wicks by the presence of God. If the oil in your lamp is not lit, you can't see anywhere inside that inner court. So what this is telling us is in between the frankincense, in between the flower, in, in between the holy, I mean, the, uh, the oil, we need Jesus. <laughs> That's the point that I'm trying to bring out here. And this is the point of the frankincense. Remember, Jesus lived the perfect life, anointed by the Holy Spirit. But it says, and frankincense will be sprinkled upon it. Frankincense is bitter. Jesus took all the bitterness of life upon himself for us. Why did I tell you that it was, the frankincense was put on the, the altar of incense inside the inner court? Because that's prayer. Through bitter tears, we go to the Lord. And we pray. Jesus made that available for us by what he did. By living a perfect life. By being anointed by the Holy Spirit. By taking on our bitterness. Dying on Calvary. And this is the problem. Well, it's not really the problem. This is the joy that is set before us. Is that the Lord did all of that for us in our place. That's the part that I want you to see. That look, aside from Jesus, we still got, we have a problem. If you're in Christ, you have no problem. What's that R.W. Shambach? You don't have a problem, you have faith. You need to have faith. That's what it means. Let's look at Numbers 15, 4 and 5. It says, then who brings an offering shall offer the Lord a grain offering mixed with a quart of hen of all, and you shall offer with a burnt offering. The same place you put the burnt offering Right? We talked about that earlier. Is the same place you put the Thanksgiving offering. This tells us that through the things that we go through, through the things that Jesus paid for, it produces thankfulness. That's why they were always offered together. Now, as we continue on, remember this is a memorial offering. A memorial offering is the same thing when we take communion. Do you realize that every time we take communion... And we worship the Lord. We're doing, we're participating in a memorial offering. We're, we're participating in the very thing that Jesus allowed us to be able to go into, which is a covenant with God. And Leviticus 2.11, no grain offering you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven nor any honey uh, food offering for the Lord. No leaven, leaven was sin. Okay, leaven was sin. And it also said no honey. Honey is the goodness that we think we produce. This is telling us that the honey that is natural, honey is natural. That can have no part in the offering. Which means we cannot bring anything good to what Jesus Christ has already done. 
This is freeing if you really understand what I'm talking about. The leaven. Remember, leaven is sin. Jesus said, I'm sorry, Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. No leaven can be part of this Thanksgiving offering. Leaven, when we sin, we separate ourselves from the Lord. He's reaching down to try to save us from, from that pit of despair that we're in. But, he's re- but we're reaching out to him when we repent. That's why it could be no leaven. No honey. Which means that there's nothing good that we can produce on our own. That's why it cannot be mixed with that type of offering. And in Leviticus 2 verse 13. You shall season all of your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. Remember the salt. Salt is there for purifying. This is what it's telling us. God's covenant preserves. It is always purifying us. That is what salt did. Remember Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may, how you may ought to give an answer to each person. Listen, when you proclaim the gospel to someone, you're seasoning your testimony with salt. You're, you're declaring the per- persevering power and the purity of God to them. In conclusion, can we stand? I know this was a little all over the place as far as studying the book of Leviticus. But my point is, when I was reading this, it produced such a thankfulness in my heart. It produced such a, just a love for God's word. The thing that kept coming out to me. Is God, look how meticulous you are being. And it's as if I felt the Lord saying, that's right. I'm meticulous in your life. I'm meticulous in your circumstance. Those things that are bothering you. Those things that you're concerned about. Those things that you're worried about. God is concerned about. God is looking over. Do you understand what a great price that Jesus Christ paid for us? If not, look at what we would have to deal with. Look at all the meticulousness. But it it produced this, I'm telling you, this awe. I remember just sitting at my desk. And I would just throw my hands in the air and say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you that you lived a pure, spotless life. You look at fine flour. Like, what is that? It's the perfect life he lived. What is the oil? The oil is the representation of the Holy Spirit. I get to dwell and walk in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit because Jesus lived the perfect life. What about the frankincense? The bitterness of life. The bitterness of not being able to have children. Jesus took that bitterness and gave me freedom and he says you know what one day you'll see those children when I when you go to the Lord in bitter tears you have that grace you have that oil you have that perfection that is all given to you through Jesus Christ and then you look at the burnt offering all of that what does that all have to do it has to do with everything that we deserve it, it has to do with, with the sacrifice that was given in our place Jesus Christ, if you should be falling in love with the Lord more and more and more every single day, I want to encourage you tonight.
Jesus loves each and every one of you. He loves each and every one of you. The price that he paid, he had your, your face in his mind. He's, God is omnipotent. If you were the last person on this earth and there was no one else, Jesus would have came and died for you. You see, in church, we get so wrapped up and we forget. We're going from this situation to this circumstance. That's why I wanted to say the burnt offering, what he did, the thanksgiving. Be thankful. This Christmas, be thankful. Man, don't worry about opening up all these gifts. and all. You go to the Lord. Take some time and go to the Lord. Say, God, thank you for your birth. Thank you that you came. Thank you that you lived so I could live. Come on, let's close our eyes in prayer. Father, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. God, we are thankful for what you've accomplished for us, God. God, we are thankful for the price that you paid so we would not have to be separated from you, Lord. God, we thank you for the power and the perfect life that you lived so we could enjoy, God, so we can be right before you. God, we thank you right now, Lord, that just give us that grace and that power, God, that we need to tell others. Come on, you need to tell others. We need to tell others. There are people in our families that you will come around this Christmas season that could slip off into eternity and die lost. But I want to encourage you tonight. Jesus came for them also. Father, we thank you, God, that you are building our testimony, God, in in front of our family, Lord. God, that you are working behind the scenes, Lord, as we pray for our family. Come on, have you been praying for your family? When you do funerals, you realize that time is so short. Father, we thank you tonight. We give you honor tonight. We give you praise tonight. Father, be with us, Lord as we go out and proclaim your gospel, anoint us to do your works. Father, we love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray and ask. And everyone said amen and amen.